This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year the low. There are, of Who course, is the Stephen Bradbury of He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing Mr. the grocery shopping can take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam, and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good, Adam. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? As always, big show coming up today. Lots of conversation starters now that you're uh, now that you're possibly back out there and socialising if you're in New South Wales. Yeah. So, you know, if you're out and about, you don't want to seem like all you did during lockdown was just binge money heist on Netflix or something, with subtitles, of course, because you're cultured like that, and then hope that you understand finance now. So instead of instead of relying on what you learned during that show, maybe you might have something, something out of this show to talk about. A bit of other news, while we were still bleary-eyed and a bit stressed out from camping with the kids, we actually recorded an episode, a bit of a different episode for us, an episode all about affirmation. So it's, it's a bit of a departure from what you'd normally get in our, in our regular feed. But rather than release it as part of the regular feed, we thought we'd chuck it out there as a bonus episode. So uh, keep an eye out for that later on this week. I think Friday it comes out. We'd love to hear what you think. If you, if you like that kind of thing, Thomas does a lot of research and, and reading and exploration, Thomas, of different ideas and, and success theories. So Yeah, I'm very, very well read in the space. Way better read than I need to be. <laughs> uh, so have a listen to that. Let us know. Let us know what you think if you like it. But uh, don't worry at all because we will, of course, keep delivering the half-baked topical analysis you know and love uh, <laughs> each and every week. Speaking of which, Thomas, coming up on the show. We've got another crisis on our hands. This time it's an energy crisis, and I'm not talking about the time Byron Bay ran out of chakra crystals. <laughs> it's a real energy crisis. Uh, I, I'm, while we're away, New South Wales got a new premier, so we'll take a look at the new one and see if we can work out what happened to the old one. We're going to find out what the Panama Papers are all about, and if it takes off like the Panama hat trend, then we could be in trouble. <laughs> There's a new big player in the buy now, pay later space, and it's a bit of a milestone because it is now officially easier to track who isn't offering buy now, pay later (laughs) rather than who is. So uh, stay tuned for that. But first, Thomas, we called it on the show a couple of weeks ago. There was much macro prudentialing coming out of CBA uh, with CBA announcing they were raising the floor rate. Well, dad's home and he's told the rest of the kids to do the same. Thomas, what's going on? Yeah, so APRA last week announced that they're wanting to all the banks to increase their buffer so there's a you you know if you're getting a a mortgage at four and a half percent they assess you uh, at something like seven and a half percent with that buffer to sort of protect you from interest rates rising or you getting into financial trouble 
Um, so that's what you get assessed at. And the buffer was 2.5% and they've now bumped it up to 3%. Right. And this is pretty similar to what Matt Common was talking about when we flagged that a few weeks ago. He, so CBA unilaterally raised their floor rate trying to get ahead of the curve. And we said at the time, we think this was the banks flagging to APRA and, and crew that this was their preferred measure of macro prudential. I think CBA knew it was coming um, and they wanted to sort of set the tone and say, this is what we would prefer. Uh, and APRA is obliged. They've gone, yep, all right, we'll do that. Bump it up two and a half to 3%. So yeah, right. that's, that's where it lands. APRA reckons it'll it reduce the uh, borrowing capacity by about 5%. Of the of the average borrower, and so so the big banks didn't follow CBA's lead, but now they all have to effectively. So every bank in in Australia is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, they moved. They moved. It moved quite quickly. So it went through the RBA started talking about it. The Council of Financial Regulators started talking about it. Then APRA came out very quickly. So it was a bit of a surprise move in that sense. It ha- it happened. It went from rumor to fact very quickly. Mm. Yeah, but that's that's where we landed. The interesting thing about it is if it does knock 5% off the borrowing capacity, you, if that sort of ro- broadly translates to price growth, most of the major banks were forecasting price growth of 5 to 7% mm. in 2022. So we're looking at like 20 plus percent this year, that's slowing right down next year to 5 to 7%. And you knock 5% off that, then you're getting close to sort of zero. And I think that's probably... APRA is probably pretty happy with that. It's, it's a reasonably tentative kind of macro prudential measure. It's not too it's not too big on the stick. Is this it? Or like, is this just the start, or is it? So the last time they got a little burnt, I think it had a the last time they brought in macro prudentials back in 2017. It was a bit heavy. It had a bigger impact than I think they probably expected it to. So Sydney fell 15 percent. So did Melbourne fell 14 percent. Peak to trough. So it was a little bit like whoopsies. I wasn't really trying to do that. Um, yeah, so I think I think they're going, just going slow and steady now. They'll just test the waters, up this up up the buffer, and then see see how the market reacts. Right. Awesome. All right, mm. Thomas, you gave me two words today. You said, I want to talk about the Panama Papers. Mm. I've got no idea what's going on. Yeah, the Panama Papers. It's another leak. It's a string in the in the P leak. So we had the Paradise Papers, then we had the... Um... Did you say the P leaks? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had the Paradise Papers, the Panama Papers, <laughs> and now it's the Pandora Papers. Basically, what's happened is somebody or some organization has hacked into a law firms. So, with the, with the Panama Papers, they hacked, mm. they hacked into Mossack Fonesca, which is a legal firm operating out of Panama that helped rich people hide their money and, and stash it away in places where the tax man couldn't get it. Right. And so, someone's hacked, hacked these. So, with the Panama Papers, they hacked Mossack Fonesca and then released it all to, to the public so people get an idea of who's dodging tax and who's doing dodgy things with their money. Did they find Trump's tax? Well, yeah, see, this is... Papers? No, no. <laughs> well, this is, this is the thing, right? So, it, it gets hacked. So, someone hacks it. Mm. It then gets released to the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, the ICIJ. Right. Guess where they're based? Panama. No, nah, good guess, but Washington. <laughs> right. <laughs> should have primed, okay. should have primed you on this one. <laughs> you really should have given me more to go on than the two words you gave me. Right, okay, right there in Washington. They're in Washington. Um, so, right. so, so, so whoever hacks it leaks it to the ICIJ. 
this journalist group. The journalist group then leaks it to, they've got 150 global media partners. These are almost exclusively large mainstream media players. So in Australia, it's Nine Entertainment, the AFR, Guardian, and the ABC. And so they release it to them. The ICIJ only releases a very small portion of what they, what they get access to. The media partners themselves, in turn, only release a very small portion of it. So we know, for example, that 400 Australians have been named in the papers. Right. Well, the media has only identified two for us. Is this like a ransomware model where they're, they're just sort of proving that they have it and then they're going to start asking for bidders? Do you know what I mean? No. Where they well, go like, hey, we're just proving that we have this data now. We've got all these papers. Here's a little, here's a little sample just to, just to wet your whistle. If you want more, maybe, uh, maybe. transfer some Bitcoin to this address. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that that's the case. Like with, with the Panama Papers, they came out in 2016. We had the initial flush of data that came out of it, which was about 1% apparently. Right. Uh, and then the, nothing since. It's been locked up since then and we've heard nothing more about it right um and it's kind of interesting for what who's not there so there's no u.s billionaires there's no u.s companies the big four accounting firms which is you know famous for managing billionaire money they're never named mm. um the big uh, blue chip tax avoiders in the in the corporate world then they're, they're not named either and the icij you know for a independent org that leaks sensitive data is never hassled you know lives in washington very happily and never gets never gets raided right so it's, you can compare that with wikileaks mm. which you know had the evidence of us war crimes and then just leaked it and made it publicly available you know they were going to assassinate julian assange allegedly it's it's a, they're playing a different game and maybe that maybe that's smart maybe that they realize that we're you know the realities that they live in and if you're going to just start naming mm. donald trump you're probably going to end up dead but <laughs> that's that's what yeah so maybe that's what they've what they've done so so michael michael west is is a independent journal in australia he's done a really interesting story on it and he the question here he's also he's also batman is, is he as yeah. adam west oh he was <laughs> From 50 years ago. <laughs> Still relevant. He's on, he's on Family Guy. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, he's, he's asking the question, why do we never hear about the Americans? Why do we only hear of a handful mm. of Australians? And the, thing, the interesting thing about, so the Panama Papers was a hack of a single law firm, the um, mm. whatever they were called. But this, the Pandora Papers, has hacked 14 separate law firms. So he's kind of saying it's kind of at such a scale that it's not just some do-gooder, you know, on their computer hacking, right. hacking away. Like it kind of looks like it's a sovereign. And the question he asks is, is this the U.S. trying to trash the reputation of non-U.S. tax havens like Panama ah. and the British Virgin Islands, trash the reputation of small-scale accounting firms in order to drive rich people to the US, like thank you, saying Rupert Murdoch's based in Delaware and that's a notorious tax haven, or drive them to the big four accounting firms mm. because we never hear about the, the Americans and, and like so what, what what's going on here? Why do we never why do we never hear about it? So I think oh, that's an interesting question to ask. Go support Michael West, like he does fantastic work, by the way. They might just be clean as a whistle, the US billionaires and <laughs> companies. Did, did that ever occur to you? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Maybe they're not doing anything wrong, Thomas. I've got cynical I mean, in my old age. Anyway. 
who are you start flinging allegations of poor old Donald Trump and and, and other billionaires of his ilk living happily and lawfully in the US paying their taxes and you come along <laughs> Oh, I'm mad about the place. So was it? So there's Australians in there, mm. and there's are there other other nationalities represented? I mean, it's not just. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a full global thing. Like it's um. So it's everyone ex- every every sort of nation except the US. Pretty much. I mean, there's like there's the singer Julio Iglesias, there's cricket star <laughs> Sachin Tendulkar, pop music star Shakira. I guess Shakira is an American. Claudia Schiffer, the supermodel. I think she's German. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, but not many, not many Americans, not many. Yeah. There's like, right. the, it's probably, they would have sprinkled a few token Americans in there probably. Yeah. Tony Blair, the former prime minister of Britain, he got named. So that's maybe, right. maybe something, but that's kind of about it. There's a PM of the Czech Republic, president of the Ukraine, three heads of state from Latin America. Sounds like a hell of a party list. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Surely more to come from the Pandora Papers, that's for sure. Thomas, there's a global energy crisis, apparently. What's causing it? Yeah, high energy prices, uh, not enough energy. I mean, that's right. a little bit, uh, <laughs> a little bit self-evident. Uh, but that's, that's what's going on. So energy prices. The old, the old supply and demand. It is, yeah. Everything in economics comes back to supply and demand, you'll find. Yeah, so, yep, supply is tight, inventories are super low in Europe, uh, and prices are going through the roof. So, saying gas storage sites in the EU and the UK are just under 76% full, compared with a 10-year average of almost 90%. So, mm. that's well down. But, yeah, but if it gets could get worse, so if we get an average winter, so we're coming into the European winter, so this is why it's getting to a bit of a panic station, because if the winter's really cold, then, mm. then uh, energy prices will really spike. So saying if we get an average winter, uh, storage sites will be reduced to just 19% capacity by spring, the lowest level for a decade. But if, the, if we see a, uh, a heavy winter, like a, ba- a cold winter, similar to 2017, 2018, then mm. storage will be completely exhausted by spring, um, which will lead to Jeez. rationing and a bit of a then, – yeah, then it will get real. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit to this story. Like it, it's mm. kind of – I think it, it largely it's a COVID disruption. So if you look at the chart of inventories, and I'll share this to our uh, Instagram account if that's still going gangbusters. At CV Podcast, sure is, up over 500 followers Ooh, now. Nice. Well, followers, are they called followers? I don't yeah. know. Friends? <laughs> friends is an old term, isn't it? I like to think of them as friends anyway. Yeah. If you follow us on, on Instagram, <laughs> welcome, friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but that showed that so inventories spiked in 2020 as, we, um, as the COVID sort of story launched and, and the economy shut down. Mm. And so a lot of gas contracts were cancelled or people, they weren't renewed. But then the, the economy came back much stronger than expected. Demand picked up much much more quickly than expected. And now we've got an inventory shortage. So is it just in Europe? Is it is it all of Europe? It's all of Europe. It's also Asia. Mm. Asia's got a big problem. So Asia's LNG spot price went up 40%. It's up 40%. Right. We had the largest single movement on Wednesday in, in history. Right. It's, it's, re- it's really interesting how quickly this has escalated into a crisis because it's like, it feels like to me inventories are something you, you've got a bit of a track on. You know, they're at seventy-six percent mm. now. Surely, at like kind of eighty-one, eighty-two, they're like, hmm, we're looking a bit, 
Barrel's looking a bit empty here. <laughs> Just someone left the heater on yeah. overnight. And they're like, who left the, the massive global heater on? Yeah, so it's a big problem everywhere except Russia. Russia right. Russia's is swimming in gas. They're doing fine. Is that, that all the all the gas pipelines run through Russia or something, don't they? Well from Russia. Isn't yeah. it? From Russia. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're Oh, he's laughing then, Putin and, and Co. He is. Well, there's a, there's a, the dimension to this. And not to say that he caused the crisis, but output out of Russia has fallen. It's quite. It's well below its five year average. Uh, so right. there's a lot less uh, coal and gas coming out of Russia. And he's sort of says he's he's open to the idea of sending more, but. It's sort of tied in with this. There's the Nord Stream pipeline, which runs directly from Russia to Germany, uh, which isn't online yet. They're still it's still being negotiated with between Russia and Germany. And at the, at the moment, the pipeline goes through the Ukraine to to the rest of Europe, and the Russian Ukrainian relationship is pretty strained. So Putin's keen to get this Nord Stream pipeline up, and seems to be letting the Europeans sweat, not like, holding back the gas in order to get them to sort of fast-track the Nord Stream pipeline is sort of what people are saying. Well, they wish they were sweating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, let them shiver. What do people do in the cold? <laughs> got no idea. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a yeah, political, political intrigue behind the crisis as well. Okay. So Europe's, Europe's screwed. Mm. Asia's screwed. China's in doing? trouble. Yeah. China's in trouble. Are we okay? Uh, yeah, we're doing fine so far. I mean, we produce gas. And we're coming into summer. We're coming into, coming summer. into summer as well, which helps. Yeah, yeah. Although air it does cost a lot to run my air con, Thomas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I think we're still, you know, thanks to the visionary leadership of the Morrison government, <laughs> we're still miles behind in the transition away from coal. So, yeah, we're sweet, apparently. Great job, Scotty. Yeah, well, Nailed well it. played. Nailed it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, and it's classic. So, they're out saying it's, it's, it's solar and wind's fault. And it is true that wind in the UK has, has been down. It has been unusually unwindy in recent, <laughs> in recent <laughs> weeks. Um, so, they're trying to pin it on wind, but it's still... It's still <laughs> of course they are. Yeah, it's still the case at 86%. Well, someone calculated... Said blow, damn it, blow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so 80, 80% of, of any production still coming from fossil fuels. Someone's calculated that 86% of the recent increase in energy costs in the UK comes from fossil fuels, not from gas or wind. Yeah, Gas is still three more, three times more expensive than wind, and twice as expensive as solar. So, right, yeah, it does, yeah, that that argument doesn't seem to carry carry any water. So, coal coal is king at the moment. Then, yeah, right. well, good time to be a coal exporter, such mm. as ourselves. Yeah, we're, us. yeah, we're crushing it. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, because it's it's everywhere. Like it goes in mm. in China and and Asia. Like that's the world's production center. So if energy prices start spiking there, then that starts pushing all through the supply chain. And so the real question here is like, so it's kind of a it, it looks like a temporary thing. Like it does seem that there's enough gas and coal and and sort of energy fuels in the system. They're just not making their way to where they need to be. Um, right. And so that seems to be, you know, the market is sort of sorting that out. And so it doesn't seem like it's a permanent shock, 
but it has the ability temporary shocks can become permanent when once they've been around for long enough so like you can imagine in countries like france where there's a strong union movement or stronger relatively strong union movement if energy prices spike and you've got tight labor markets because everyone's rebounding out of covid then that can fuel wage demands and then once you get that sort of weight once wages come into the cycle then you can start to see sustained inflation so I think it's an outside risk, but we could be looking back at this in 12 months as the trigger for increases in interest rates. Well, <laughs> that's, that's the reaction I was looking for. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Truth bombs. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I can't quite see how that links up with interest rates. Well, inflation. Yeah. So if, if it becomes permanent inflation so at the moment the central banks are saying yeah there is inflation but it's temporary so we're not going to raise yeah. rates to try and fight it ah uh, okay but good. then it could yeah, become permanent the, so then yeah then that was the link i was missing right 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 yeah yeah it could also just be seasonal right like what winter's going to finish and everyone go oh that was cold <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah now typically i mean it's it, it is always funny the, like the economy does this it throws up crises but then because there's so many agents involved and there's so many ways to adjust that more often than not, we just adjust through it. So people yeah, will consume okay. less energy on other things. And, and that's kind of the, the miracle of, of the price system is that it, it, gives, it gives a very clear signal about where resources need to go. And you sort of you sort of fumble through these crises because this is what this is what the sixth crisis this year or something. Oh, there's a crisis every week. Like what happened? Like the U.S. debt ceiling thing. Everyone was like, "Oh, this could be the end." And then Biden came out and went, "You know what we're going to do? We're just going to delay it a bit longer. We're going to postpone it." Yep. It's like, what was that an option? <laughs> <laughs> Why did we do that? Why are we talking like it's the end of the world mm. and you could just postpone it for like yeah, a yeah. few months or whatever? Like. Is it, it's not possible, it's just the media. Like, media, is, media the media obviously loves a crisis, right? So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, gas prices have gone up fivefold. So, I think, I think that's, you know, that's crisis territory for sure. But we, we're kind of, we're more resilient to crises than we used to be, I think is probably the, probably the takeaway. All right, nice one. Oh, that's, uh, there's lots to take in in the first, first half of this show. So um, we're going to take a break there, grab a word from our sponsors. While we're doing that, why don't you go and leave us a review on iTunes? That would be much appreciated. Or better still, you can send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or on the website, equitymates.com forward slash cve. We'll be back with more Comedian versus Economist right after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back here on Comedian versus Economist. And Thomas, 
New South Wales has got a new Premier. Yeah, he does. They, they Been do. in the job for, what, about a week now, a week and a mm, half? Mm. Yep, just in time to open up the, open up the state. Mm. Give us, deliver our Freedom Day. I, he's all over the news. Yeah, I saw that today. Mm. All, all over the papers. It look, it's a good look. Oh, if you're in, couldn't ask for a better start. <laughs> How good is it? Yeah. You show up and you're just like, here I am and I'm just reopening things. Yeah. It's all me, everyone. Yeah. Just brilliant. Just, yeah, just every yeah. image of just him having a beer at an pu- open pub. Like I'm the guy who yeah. opened up the pubs again. I'm the guy. Those who came before me obviously didn't know what they were doing. Mm. Well, it's taken me, what, two days? Two days days and we're back open. Can you imagine, like, Donald Trump, someone like that, would just have a field day with us. Oh, yeah. Would just be like, this was all me. Mm. I don't think, I don't think, uh, what's his name? Peritet. I don't think he's like, I don't think he's a Trump. No, he was, he was, he was, he was back in Trump back in 2016. That's one of the things we've learned. Yeah, there's a, there's a big difference between supporting Trump, I think, and behaving like Trump. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, what's, uh, what's, what's, is, is his name Dominic Peritet? What's mm. Dominic's, what's Dominic's deal? Yeah, still a bit of an unknown, but the general feeling of the people who know him and the commentators and the other politicians in the space seems to be that he's a pretty he's on the hard right so he's a he's a catholic conservative quite famous for opposing gay marriage and abortion but that has a sort of an economic dimension where he's he's got a quote here i strongly support the principles of free markets i oppose plans for more social engineering more welfare handouts and the continual obsession with our rights at the expense of our responsibilities so they're they're all things that are sort of the conservative politicians bread and butter but like, whereas, like, Scotty from marketing is a bit more, seems to be a bit more of an opportunist, isn't, like, ideologically wedded to anything in particular. Um, <laughs> You're a big fan of Scotty, aren't you? <laughs> You're a big fan. I think, yeah. I think come the, ne- the next another election looming pretty soon, I reckon mm. you, just, uh, you might want to give Scotty a call and let him know that you are available to work the, to work the campaign trail. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, I don't think I don't think that's a uh, I don't think that's a contentious view. I think everyone sort of <laughs> has that line, like you know, yeah. in terms of Canberra insiders. Like, I don't think you know, I don't think, I don't think even Scotty himself would pretend to be an ideologue. Whereas the consensus seems to be that Perrottet is he's he's fully into neoliberal sort of economics, right? And yeah, is much more economically conservative than, than Berejiklian. Yeah, so he's coming out of the Treasury. So he was the Treasurer until recently. He oversaw, there was a lot of privatisation. So he oversaw the government's sale of the 49% stake in WestConnex for $11 billion. Uh, he oversaw the sale of the electricity distributors and generators, the land titles registry, which is a monopoly, by the way. So, like, I don't know why he's selling a monopoly. It's ridiculous. And then he had a plan to sell off all of the state's plantation forests in a billion-dollar one-off deal. But then the Black, Fire, Black Summer Fires sort of knocked that deal off the table. Ah. So, he's, yeah, so he sort of very, seems to be very pro-privatization, pushes that very hard. Mm. Um, he also, one of the criticisms, or Lee Lake says he's turned the New South Wales government into a hedge fund. <laughs> so remember, interest rates hit the floor. If you were a state mm. government, you know, you're effectively rock-solid in investment, so you can get money at super cheap rates. So the New South Wales Treasury borrowed $10 billion at very low rates and then reinvested it in the stock market and other financial assets. Brilliant. 
Yeah. So potentially going to make. A, I mean, if it goes well. If it goes right. <laughs> yeah. If it goes well. I'm not sure that's what I want my premier doing, <laughs> but. Yeah. But then uh, that, I want him telling me that he did it after he after he nailed it though, because yeah. then I'll be like, "Oh yeah, you did nice." <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea you were even doing that. What you do? That's crazy. <laughs> Can't believe it's all worked out so well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're just going to come back and find out it's, it's mostly in Dogecoin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but if he comes out ahead of time, you know, and he's like, "Look, this is my plan. I'm going to take everyone's money and I'm going to stick it in the stock market." I remember, like, "Whoa, that's." Cr- you can't do that, mate. That's insane. Yeah. But, you know, if you find out about these things later on and it's all gone swimmingly, then, yeah, mm. hats off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, it's a risky strategy, but we'll see how it plays out for you. All oh, right. So, it's still in there. Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah, as long as there's not an energy crisis or some kind of... Has he taken any profits yet? He'd be doing well. I don't know. Yeah. You'd I don't think so. he's personally managing the money in the learning <laughs> self-wealth app. <laughs> A little ping. <laughs> it's not like Nancy Pelosi, the the whale, <laughs> the whale of Wall Street. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What if I could um, copy trade him? That'd be great. Copy trade. Yeah. Well, there you go. Can you copy trade the New South Wales government? I'm sure someone's managing the money for them. Yeah. But yeah. so so there's that. There's sort of that on the conservative side. The other thing though is he does seem to be intellectually committed to it, which. You know, he's a conviction politician, which is great if you like their policies and terrible if you don't. Right. And so he's, he's commissioned a report into ending stamp duties on property mm. sales and then replacing them with a broad-based land tax. Yeah, and so this is, this is all less like makes the point that pretty much every economist in the country thinks this is a good idea and every inquiry into the tax system has recommended it, but no one has ever had the cojones, as in S. Lake's words, to, right. to take, it to the, take it to the public because property is just such a, a tetchy topic that no, yeah, one wants, right. no one wants to talk about it. So, yeah, so, so far, we don't know. He, he's commissioned a report and he's talked in support of it, but it'll be interesting to see if he, if he delivers on that one. It'll be another nah, interesting makes one. Makes sense to get rid of stamp duty. Oh, yeah, yeah. We don't even use stamps anymore. <laughs> That's right. Um, so Gladys is gone. Mm. She, she left sort of uh, a bit unceremoniously. Yeah. I heard she didn't have to go. I thought there's a lot of talk saying she had to go and she was forced out. But she didn't actually have to go, did she? She was just being investigated. She was being investigated. And, and so, yeah, this is so liberal saying, oh, look, it's terrible. The bureaucrats have, have got in and uh, it's sort of guilty, guilty before proven innocent and all this sort of stuff. Mm. And it's like, yeah, but she didn't have to resign. There was no pressure on her to resign. Well, there was a bit. <laughs> well, yeah, there was a bit. I mean, but like, if, but if you genuinely bit. believe you'd done nothing wrong. <laughs> I mean, the other- if someone launches an ICAC investigation against you, yeah. there's pressure to resign. Let's be honest. Yeah, that's, there but is. Maybe there no is. one said you have. To, maybe no one said you have to resign. No, no. I mean, she could have like you could have stepped aside for a little bit. She could have stood down as as premier, but she you know, she chose to quit. And you know, like if she was genuinely in the clear, like I think it would have been possible for her to say, look, I'm generally don't think I've done anything wrong. I'm happy for ICAC to review the situation, mm. and we'll do, let's just get on with the job of managing the state. But I think she kind of knew what was coming, and goes like, oh, there's there's no future for me here. I'm out. Mm. Uh, and we we know a bit of it already because a year ago she fronted ICAC to um, you know testify kind of in the case against her then boyfriend or one-time boyfriend, uh, mm. I forget his name now, who did some dodgy stuff and seems that she maybe supported him in doing some dodgy stuff 
for you know, giving some favours to people in his electorate. Daryl Maguire, is that it? Yeah, was it the Wagga Wagga one? Yeah, 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 that's mm. it, that's it. So she's kind of, sort of incriminated herself already, and some people are saying it's kind of, it was kind of surprising that she stuck it out through that period, given that she didn't come out particularly well. But I think, I think the, the, the general feeling is like, for, in women, that they've, everyone's dated a dodgy dude, has done some dodgy stuff, and it's not fair that... That she has to has to cop the the flack for it. Not a good defence in an ICAC court, though, is it? Or in a, in an there's not a precedent for that one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all been there, haven't we, Your Honour? I think we've all had those relationships. I had a girlfriend once. That <laughs> I woke up and my wallet was gone. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, right. but the, the other thing is that that Morrison and crew. The public sentiment has been a more pity for for Gladys Berejiklian than than anger, and kind of, and maybe because the, they don't know what she knows in this story, but generally they're really like there's bit bit of sadness. People are leaving flowers outside Parliament, right? And so so Morrison's come out and saying, well, this is why we're not we haven't followed New South Wales' lead with a federal ICAC. So there's no federal body that that, in, that investigates corruption. Oh. Yeah, and Morrison. So ICAC, for anyone that doesn't, mm. doesn't maybe isn't familiar with the term, Independent Commission Against Corruption. Yeah, that's right. That's what ICAC stands for. Yeah. So, so right. So there's no federal Independent Commission Against Corruption. No, no. Oh. Yeah. So Morrison promised one three years ago, but just haven't yeah. hasn't delivered on it. Mostly because there's just continuing string of scandals coming out, which we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we don't want to be sort of. <laughs> arming the guns against that yeah dillied and dallied on on introducing that even though like cases like this prove it's it's very necessary um but they did there's sort of there was a draft plan for a um some some commission i forget the exact name now but a much weaker version and this the center for public integrity which is an independent think tank of legal heavyweights uh said Mm. it would be the weakest integrity commission in the country if it was if it got up yeah. Um, yeah. So Morrison is definitely not in a rush to to get that going, and kind of use this as a to get talking points on why we shouldn't have a federal ICAC. Yeah, I remember talking to a taxi driver in Cambodia, and he was like, "We've got a we've got an anti corruption squad, in, and it's the most corrupt like <laughs> organization. So like the most corrupt part of the government is the anti corruption." Um, yeah, yeah right, whatever right. it was, team or whatever, because yeah, like he's saying, it's it's just rife like mm. within Cambodia. But um, yeah, I'm sure there's. I mean, that's not to single them out. There's, I'm sure there's problems all over the world. But um, but yeah, it's, I guess it's hard for anything to be to have that true independence. I suppose. I mean, yeah, we've got a strong rule of law, a strong civil society. I think Australia can make it work. It's definitely better than nothing. I think we can say yeah. that. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, before we before we go, um, we've, it's been a, a chock-a-block episode. Um, I did just want to talk touch on uh, a new player in the buy now, pay later market. Thomas mm. ANZ entered the market mm. this week. What's going on there? Yeah, radical steps for ANZ. Yeah, jumping into buy now, pay later. Uh, new foray for them into the credit provision services. Uh, mm. Yeah, not a, not something the bank has done before. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, all, all the big four are in now. Um, it's yeah. a buy now, pay later. And more people are, jo- are joining every day. 
And yeah, I think like I think we we talked about Afterpay a little a few months ago. It kind of flagged this like Afterpay as a concept isn't you know, buy now pay later as a concept isn't particularly novel or innovative or amazing, and so it doesn't deliver a lot of. There's not a moat protecting buy now pay later as a concept. Mm. So anyone in the yeah, so we're seeing a flood of entrants now, and and this is kind of thing of like. Car, like it seems to be a lot of businesses trying to carve out regulatory loopholes to, to operate in. So you think of like Amazon, the Flex, the, the delivery service. Yeah, like yeah we're not yep. a trunk, trucking company because we don't allow our delivery drivers to drive minivans. They've all got to drive sedans. <laughs> so they're kind of carving out a niche in that loophole. We can't be a trucking company when all our vehicles are Ford Festivas from 2003. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm. and then Airbnb. So Hotels used to be highly regulated. Airbnb just came on and found a niche where they sort of didn't have to f- have to deal with any of that regulation. Uh, yeah. Uber with like taxis. Yeah. Taxis used to be highly regulated. They came in and found a niche. And so the, it seems like the first mover into a, into a highly regulated market that finds that finds that niche that isn't squashed immediately can make some super normal profits. And it feels to me that that's what that's what Afterpay did is effectively it's credit it's offering credit it's saying like you pay a little bit now and then you pay a little bit more later on we'll cover the rest like you're giving the customer credit and credit provision is highly regulated and um the the banks have been you know there's APRA there's a whole body to monitoring the bank's behavior and so uh, buy now pay later carved out this niche where the banks weren't allowed to tread and then created created a profitable business but now that now that they've broken that seal the banks mm. are like, well, okay, if we're allowed to do that, that's a pretty simple concept for easy payments. Sure, okay, we're in there too. Yeah, so they're, they're coming in as well. Well, ANZ, I heard they've teamed up with Visa. Mm-hmm. So, New kid on the block. Like, yeah. That's formidable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you know, you, com- you, start, you start getting into some pretty massive players. Like, yeah, that's right. You know, and, and you look at Afterpay, and that's the big one of, of the new breed. But there's the, – so, so where have all these other ones come from then? Like the uh, – what is it? Zip and um, Hum and there's tons of, of other new sort of startup buy now, pay laters on the market now. I mean, you could almost white label the business, couldn't you? Like it's not particularly – they're not particularly complex business. You're just raising capital and providing people with credit. Like you don't even mm. you're not even checking credit scores or doing anything like that, right? Like yeah, like I don't know. Because yeah, you I don't know. Well, it. it feels like now the now the big boys are here. Like it's going to be tough for all these these little startups to stay around. I reckon. I reckon. And also, there's also like a composition effect. Like you you see like with they talk about this with electric vehicles and the the EV market. Like it, yes, it's a it's a growth industry. Yes, it's going to be massive, but mm. there is no projection of growth that means that every company in the EV sector is worth what it's worth. So the market tends to take take punts on you know whatever EV company rising to the top and not being one mm. of the ones that gets killed. And I think the same thing's going to happen in buy now pay later. It's not big enough for everyone to survive. And not all, not everyone's going to make it work. And so I think we're probably we're coming into a period of probably a bit of consolidation, a bit of yeah, a bit of rationing in the EV market at least. Like if you look at Tesla, a lot of people say Tesla is like a software company. They're not a they're not a car company. So they are building electric vehicles, but 
they're building like essentially, you know, like an operating system for a car and subscription services and all that stuff that goes in the car. Whereas this is really pretty basic kind of we'll give you some, you know, you buy something and then we'll, we'll, we'll cover it until you pay in four easy installments. There's not a lot of room for like a subscription model or, or enhancing the product in any way. It kind of is what it is. I mean, some of them, are, they're differentiating a little bit. Like ANZ said they're going to do, they'll let merchants choose the time by which loans have to be repaid. So uh, it could be three to six month terms. So, you know, there's longer terms maybe is the thing. Um, but I don't know. I was, at the, I was at the pub the other night and you can like, so you scan the QR code on the table to place your order and you do like you order online, but because you're now ordering online for your, your meals at the pub, you can pay with PayPal. So I could pay with PayPal. So I did that just cause I could, and then I could pay in four installments. <laughs> so I literally paid for my schnitzel. I'm still paying for it now. <laughs> uh, you're always paid for a schnitzel later. Just because I can. I'm now paid for my, my snitty at the pub in four easy installments. But I just had this thought that I don't know what it does to my credit rating. Like, <laughs> can you just imagine getting denied for a home loan because you're putting all your snitties on credit? Like. <laughs> <laughs> disaster so so yeah. i don't know there's probably a bunch more stuff to come out of it but yeah it really feels like now it's uh now that now it's a crowded the, space yeah yeah the landscape might be might be changing all right we better wrap it up there thank you for your insight once again thomas as always thank you uh don't forget you can check out all of the great podcasts across equity mates media get started investing equity mates investing podcast you're in good company talk money to me don't forget also that we've got that bonus episode coming out this Friday. We would love to hear what you think about it if you like that kind of content. So if you do or if you don't even, send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or head over to the website, equitymates.com forward slash cve. And before I run out of breath totally, check us out on Instagram and Facebook at CVE Podcast. But that is all for us. Thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Good night. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.